The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. Welcome to the England Show podcast from The Athletic. It's a sombre Monday morning and we're here to look back on England's penalty shootout woes, defeat to Italy in the Euro 2020 final. 19 years old, Bukayo Saka has to score. It's saved by Donnarumma and it's Italy who are the champions of Europe. Is it getting better? Or do you feel the same? Will it make it easier on you now? You got someone to blame. They've given everything they they could have, not only tonight, but through the whole tournament. They should hold their heads high. They've, um, you know, they're they're a, a team who have pulled together, have given the country some incredible evenings um, but of course tonight the devastation of getting so close and, and not being able to give our country the trophy that we wanted to is is difficult to, to put into context Did I disappoint you or leave a bad taste in your mouth And it's shootouts uh, are the worst way to lose it's obviously disappointing but we've got to hold our heads, uh, heads held high you know, we had a fantastic tournament. It hurts now. It's going to hurt for a long time, of course. Well, it's too late tonight to drag the past out into the light. We're one, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other, carry each other one. Joining me, it's Flo Lloyd-Hughes and the Athletics' Carl Anker and Jack Pitbrook, who were both at Wembley last night taking in the game. Flo, it's been a great month, but the ending just feels like vintage England, doesn't it? We get so far, we get our hopes up, and it all gets snatched away at the last second. Yeah, and I think what the last month had maybe taught me is I really did think it was going to be different because... Old England, that early goal would have gone in and, you know, thinking about the Croatia game, I would have been far more nervous. But given how well this team has defended Leeds in this tournament, I actually wasn't. I was kind of thought we were looking good up mm. until like the 60th-ish minute. Um, and then obviously Italy got the equaliser. So, yeah, it was it was interesting in some ways, but in then other ways it, it very much wasn't because there was still a composure for for so much of the game and looking back you know I think a lot of people probably expected us Italy to play us off the park and they really didn't um so I think you know there are some positives to take and that Rashford penalty you know he's a very good penalty taker and any other day that is going in picks the right side goalie dives the other way I mean that was inches so I still take a lot of heart from it because I still feel like it's a different sort of defeat, but it's obviously still gutting. Yeah, Jack, you were obviously there last night at Wembley as you, as you have been all the way through the tournament. What are your reflections and, and, and feelings this morning? It's strange. I'm still trying to process my reactions to it. I mean, I feel very... I do feel disappointed that England didn't win. Uh, I feel very proud in how England have done. 
I feel a bit uh, a mixture of sort of sad and angry about the, um, the 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 security situation at the ground, the behaviour of England fans, the policing. Although we can get onto that, or the lack of policing, we can get onto that later. Although I have to say, in a football sense. I don't think England deserved to win. I don't think England played very well. I thought they had a very good first 30 minutes and then it was just too much like what we've seen before. They sat back. They didn't, they weren't able to keep the ball at all. They were, you know, you, the fact that from the base, early on in the second half, England were defending their own penalty box, hoofing the ball away as if they had, as if there were five minutes left in the game and there were 40 minutes left. And when that happened, I thought, I don't think we can keep this up. I just thought Italy were better in midfield, better through the second half. Um, England couldn't get out. And uh, Italy, I thought, deserved to win. You know, I've never seen I've, I've never seen Kane and particularly Sterling shackled like that. Like, Sterling's been our best player all tournament. And Sterling can barely get a look in yesterday. So, yeah, fair enough to Italy. I thought they did d- deserve to win. But I do feel a bit disappointed that England didn't play their best in the final. Yes, second half card an extra time. I just I just never felt like England had a foothold in the game at all. I, I didn't feel there was there was any control at all. And ultimately like Jack says, I think one, I think the, the best team on the night have ended up winning, albeit on penalties, but ultimately as well, I think probably the best team of the tournament has ended up taking the trophy home. Yeah. Today feels like toilet. Hmm. Honestly. Like I'm not I'm gonna try and have a big cathartic sulk, but uh I'm very much in a don't talk to me and don't look at me mood. And I think quite a few football fans are feeling that way as well. I hope everyone at home is safe and looking after themselves. That hurt. And I want to pick up on what Flo said in that it felt different. And it did. And the thing about Gareth Southgate's England is they feel really different to every other England team that's come since maybe 30 years from now. And I think what really hurt is they got an ending that felt typical of old England teams. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And this is why a lot of the comments are so-and-so doesn't deserve this, so-and-so doesn't deserve this, so-and-so doesn't deserve this because you've had an England team that has, this is a positive, vibrant England team that celebrates racial diversity, LGBTQ plus rights, that talks, that is socially conscious, that is from all over the country and isn't, too centralised on the top six clubs or the, or the big cities, right? You've got players like Calvin Phillips talking about Granny Val. This is a this England team feels different, and it's got a manager who feels different, and it's it's got it's done so well to undo. And we talk about fifty five years of hurt. What you're talking about is basically inherited trauma, right? It's not just your sadness watching England. It's the sadness of of your parents is the sadness of your older sibling, of your older family members, right? And they've done so well to undo that. And this tournament was so many people going, you know, maybe maybe England isn't too bad. Maybe this is fine. So to have it end in such a, I'm going to put this in air quotes, English defeat really hurt. I'm really quite glad that Calvin Phillips raced from halfway to protect Bayakasaka when the camera just tried zooming on his face after that penalty. I'm really glad so many of those England players stopped uh, what was a very private moment of anguish for a teenager being publicly broadcast in millions. So, um, yeah, that game that game really hurt. I think we're all feeling it this morning. I think we're all obviously quite upset. I'm feeling the, the effects this morning as well of, of last night as well. Flo? 
I'm feeling it even more because I did a shot of tequila after Luke Shaw scored and I'm definitely regretting that in more ways than one. Um, it was far too early to be doing something like that and I feel like I jinxed us and now I feel terrible in so many ways. I mean, compared to a lot of the England fans there, a shot of tequila at eight, yeah. you know, five past eight was uh, comparatively late to a lot of the England fans. No, that's so, true. Uh, good that's on true. you. I hope you haven't got a hangover. I hope anyone listening, if you've got a really bad hangover, I hope it passes quickly. Yeah, be, I'm imagining there'll be plenty of hangovers doing the rounds of, of people listening to, to this podcast. Jack, it just, it's hard. I, I'm finding it difficult to look back on it. And I think there is the overriding emotion of being proud because I think it has been such a great tournament for England. I think there's lots and lots of positives but it's it's so hard to to put those those thoughts into words this morning when you are so hurt about what's happened and you have literally gone all the way and one kick and you you, you haven't won the Euros when you were so so close and it does feel like there'll never be a better opportunity for England to bring a trophy home. You're right. I'm having to re- forcibly remind myself of the positives. I was frustrated with having them played. I was disappointed that they'd lost on penalties. I was very sympathetic to the players who missed penalties. Uh, you know, I think that there is no point or merit in criticising those guys at all. Um, but yeah, you are. Have, I do find that you do have to remind yourself of the positives. Like obviously, there are so many positives. This was our best ever Euros campaign. England produced some incredible performances and made some amazing memories and brought the team and the public closer together than ever. And that's all great. But I, I did find I did think yesterday that I had to remind myself that that was the case just because it was such a disappointing it was such a disappointing end to the whole um to to the tournament for England to lose it like that uh because you know in the first half after Shaw scored I thought England were going to go on and win you know England were particularly that first sort of 20 minutes or so like England have started so many games really well this year and this was maybe the best of them England was so on top and I thought this is amazing you know we're going to get a, we're going to score a second at some point and a third and this is going to be the best night of our lives and of course that's not how it turned out at all but uh, you you kick yourself afterwards for feeling that way but I'm sure I wasn't the only one who was feeling that way when England were running through Italy after the first sort of 10-15 minutes Flo, it's those it's those moments that it is always the hope that kills you. They they get the early goal and you think, bloody hell, two minutes in. A bit like the Croatia game when in the semi-final of the World Cup, I was thinking, oh my God, we're actually going to do this. And even when it looked hopeless in the penalty shootout, you know, Pickford makes that big save from Jorginho and you start to think, right, the momentum might swing again now. It's in England's favour. And then obviously Saka steps up and misses. It is the hope that kills you. Yeah, and I think... Like we got so carried away celebrating Pickford's second save that we almost forgot like an England player had to step up and take a penalty. That felt like <laughs> oh, no. that what felt a like save, a game-winning save. Like the bouncer from upstairs came down to watch with us, and we were going fully mental at that save. Like it was carnage, and then we all just turned around. And we're like, okay, here we go. We're going to win the Euros. Great, and then. <laughs> It was just such a strange moment. Like, you just feel like the world stops. And I can't imagine what it was like in the stadium to witness. I mean, we'll hear from Carl and Jack on that, but it was so strange. It was so so strange. I didn't know what to do as well because we'd been playing whole again on repeat all evening. So then I thought, what do I play now? Because whatever song I choose is not going to lift the mood people just want to go home and then you just go out onto the streets and it's just absolute carnage and all you want to do is teleport into your bed because you just want to roll under the duvet and cry um 
it was a weird moment. And I've seen a couple of clips. I haven't really been on social media this weekend. I had a brief look this morning and I saw some clips on Southgate chatting to the players about who was going to take penalties. And I do think it's worth a look at some point as to why Saka was called upon, or he called upon himself, you know, extremely brave thing to do. Um, but I think it was interesting to see that order. I mean, Harry Maguire's penalty, absolutely filthy. I mean, Oof. how it, how anyone does that is just beyond me. And I just, I've said it before in this podcast, but the Harry Maguire redemption tour, I mean, after that Mykonos situation, I think he, you know, he's proved a, little, a lot of people wrong with how he's played his football anyway. The penalty order of people which is a bit strange to me i don't know what jack and carl think of that i'd not really have the uh, bandwidth for for tactical analysis on a penalty shootout jack was sat to my left and i'm sure he was distracted by my very unprofessional yelling when some of those uh penalties went in uh, i must say jordan pickford's save on Jorginho's penalty is one of the best instances of goalkeeping i've seen from a goalkeeper in a long, long, long time, right? And I think we've said this before on the podcast about how we spent the majority of this season going, Jordan Pickford, please get dropped. Or, you know, there, there were articles written about when Pickford was injured for the internationals in March about, oh, this could be a good chance to put in Dean Henderson. Whereas I think what he did throughout this tournament was absolutely vindicate Gareth Southgate's decision. And I, I don't think there was a better goalkeeper in the country that you could have had for that penalty shootout. That was incredible. Um, in terms of the order, it looks very much as if that was planned from well before extra time and possibly planned in the weeks ahead. And uh, yeah, it, it, it is a, it's a hard one because the penalty records of Marcus Rashford and Jaden Sancho respectively are excellent. So I think Marcus Rashford up until that point had scored something like 15 penalties on 17 attempts and uh, Jaden Sancho is something like 10 on 11 attempts. So these are these are very good penalty takers for their clubs. You bear in mind, Marcus Rashford has scored, well, he scored penalties in the game against Paris Saint-Germain in Champions League. Well, that also, that Europa League, that Europa League final penalty shootout was one of the greatest yes. penalties of all time. And his, his and Shaw's penalties were exceptional. It definitely is the thing with penalty shooters where every decision can only really be given in hindsight. And I was not, and you know, I have to, preface this with the fact that Marcus Rashford and I have worked quite closely together throughout the course of the season. So, uh, but when Rashford goes up for that penalty, I I think I said, Rashford doesn't miss these things. He scores these penalties. And uh, I was, I think a, a number of people were quite shocked at, at the fact that that did not go in. And the fact that he was not a uh, traditional Rashford style penalty. So the penalty scores again in the Columbia shootout was slightly shorter run up and he hits that with a lot of venom. So the fact that he went for a more precise stuttering run was a market change. Jaden Sancho's penalty, I think was too close to Donnarumma. Uh, Donnarumma also, you know, he won player of the tournament. This is, this is not a average, that is not an average, that is not an average goalkeeper. I think he was one of the very first goalkeepers to be quoted more than a hundred million uh, Euros. This is a, you know, he's a very, very good goalkeeper. So your penalties have to be perfect. You can question as to whether or not Gareth Southgate should have put on Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford earlier to try and affect the game. But to put them in at that point to take penalties, I think that's, that's a fair decision. Uh, and Saka is the fifth one. I think that must have clearly been a decision that was had well before extra time started. 
I think Southgate said it's on him, isn't it? The, the penalties, he's come out and said, I, I chose the order. If, if anyone's missed, it, it's on me. It's not on them. Jack, your, your piece this morning, I read it this morning, you were talking about Southgate's got most things right through the tournament, but there's, there's, there's a few things that he, he got wrong. Talk, talk us through the things you think he's got wrong and, and would you add the penalty orders to that list or would that be very, very harsh? Yeah, so I think it's fair, I think it's more legitimate to criticise Southgate for the overall tactics and performance than for the penalty takers. I thought the overall tactics and performance were a bit too negative. I think England got... England didn't have a way to play. They didn't have a way to play after going 1-0 up. They didn't have a way... They didn't have a strategy for the second half beyond just defending. They didn't have a way of getting service up or any extra presence up around Kane and Sterling. Uh, I think we know from Kane, he does need a lot of pace around... You need a lot of pace around Kane to get the best out of Kane, and they didn't do that yesterday at all. And England lost control of the game in midfield, you know, like we've seen in the past. So I think, it, I think you know, I think Southgate's conservatism and game management tactics have, generally speaking, been amazing this tournament and got England very, very far. Yesterday, I thought it was... Maybe he went a bit too far in that direction. Maybe the conservatism stifled England a little bit. Maybe they did need... Grealish coming on earlier or maybe a Sancho or maybe Saka playing more of the game just to try and get some of that initiative back. In terms of the penalty takers, well, I mean, look, Southgate is very much it's about, you know, it's about process and best practice and trying to rationalise the penalty taking in such a way to take all the pressure out of it. And that has worked for Southgate because England won their two shootouts before last night um and you know he wouldn't have put Saka in he wouldn't have put Saka in ahead of Sterling Grealish unless Saka had a better record in in training than the other guys uh, I think and also it's worth it's worth remembering that he'd already taken off Trippier and Mount who definitely would have taken in England's five so England had to look a bit further down the list than they would normally have done that all said I think you know part of me does think it's fair enough to say well what if best? What if the kind of best practice, sorry, best practice methodology can go too far? Should maybe somebody should have said, look, I know, I know, I know, Saka's got a great record, but do we really want a teenager taking on our number five kick, or should one of the grown ups step up and take a bit of pressure off him? I don't know. This is, you know, it's, you can, we can argue about this forever, but I was surprised not to see Shaw in that Pickford as well. First five. Pickford's taking yeah, a pressure penalty. Yeah, I think Pickford, and the clip I seen, Pickford was going to come fairly soon after. I think it was like eight or something. As you're talking, Jack Grealish has actually just tweeted on, obviously, on, he's tweeted on Twitter, as as you do, and he said, I wanted to take one, obviously talking about a penalty. The gaffer has made so many right decisions through this tournament, and he did tonight, but I won't have people say that I didn't want to take a penalty when when I said I will. So I don't know how long that tweet will will last in the Twitter stratosphere, but yeah, people obviously, I imagine he's probably getting a bit of abuse. I would imagine Raheem Sterling's probably getting a bit of abuse for, for, for not taking a penalty as their, their forward players, but he's coming out and basically saying he would have taken one, but that the manager chose the order. I mean, I am someone who, whenever I've been put in a situation playing football penalty shootouts, I walk right to the other end of the pitch and say I'm not taking one. So I am someone who shirks instantly and shies away from those sorts of situations. Um, and I can't imagine what it must be like to to do something like that. Um, and I think most players would want to do it. Yeah. I genuinely think most would, because someone like Grealish as well, he wants to be a hero. That's him all over. And, and Sterling too, he's, he's a big game player. So I don't, I think it's stupid to say necessarily they didn't want one. It's more, I'm, I'm more 
intrigued by Southgate's selection. Grealish has been quoted a number of times saying pressure, pressure is a privilege and as someone who's watched him every week for a number of years, he's carried Aston Villa on his back at, t- at times, Carl. You know, he's, he knows all about pressure. So like he says, it wouldn't be something that he, he would shirt. But the, ma- the manager has made a lot of very good decisions all the way through the tournament. And, you know, that, that, that's, that's what he decided to go with. And ultimately it hasn't worked because... Missing a penalty in a shootout is horrific. We've we've seen players for England miss a number of penalties in quarterfinals, semi-finals, last sixteen. You know, and, it, and it's terrible. But nothing will compare one to the pressure of having to take one in the Euros final at Wembley to have England lift a trophy for the first time in fifty-five years. Secondly, nothing's going to feel as bad as missing one in a, in, that, in those circumstances. Yeah, that will sting, and I would say it can be very easy to to get sucked in and ride the emotional wave and say, oh, well, if Grealish would have taken a penalty, England would have won, right? So if Jack Grealish is saying he wants to take a penalty, that's good. That's nice to know. That is absolutely no guarantee that Jack Grealish would have scored a penalty and England would have won that, right? That's just another variable in a game of football that is, you know, games of football, ones of infinite variables. And that's why we love this sport. It's no guarantee that anything's going to happen. And, uh, I feel really disheartened seeing comments from people who have spent the last month saying they love England football and they love that England football team only for them to change their minds very quickly on the personhoods of Marcus Rashford, Bayako Saka, Raheem Sterling and Jadon Sancho. It is quite hard right now for me to have spent Friday, Saturday, thinking, you know, I, you know, this England team is quite special and the England fag isn't terrifying to having to leave Wembley Stadium and having to text my friends and loved ones going, these are my movements. This is where I am. If something kicks off, because some England fans don't decide they don't particularly like black people today because of the penalty shootout, then I'll let you know. And the England flag is scary again. And there should be a nicer way to put this, but that's that. And the great thing about Southgate England, the thing I've talked about a lot about Southgate England is, you know, normally there is a, a sense of unity around England that lasts maybe the first match day of a tournament, right? England tend to disappoint you quite early on in the tournament. You go, oh, good. They broke my heart early that we can get on with it. Whereas Southgate England tends to make the good feeling last more than a week, more than two weeks. So we had the good feeling after the Germany game. You have the amazing feeling after defeating Ukraine you had the fantastic feeling after Denmark that's the good feeling that's the moment where you're realizing this is this is something different and I'm going to say this very plainly I am on this podcast and I am in this country and I am speaking to you in this language in this voice because a decision was made around about 35 years ago where my parents look at a map of the world and they go that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. And they went England for these reasons. And sometimes that decision, you can, if you talk long enough to my fa- my parents and all the members of my family, they go, that decision, eh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't quite work out. We need to leave eventually. And sometimes you have great moments, you have good weekends. You go, you know what? That was a good decision. I quite enjoy that we're here, even though the weather is terrible and the food is eh. And Southgate England's nice because it makes me feel, you know what? I understand it now, but I don't, when you have that bit where the camera pans behind Gareth Southgate as he's hugging Raheem Sterling and everyone's singing Sweet Caroline whatnot, you go, that's why people older than me when England will look after us 
so to watch it the morning after, gone, really stings. And to watch certain politicians uh, condemn the racial abuse that uh, black football players have had when they have spent the past several years fostering a hostile environment for, for people that look like that. It's for the fact that MPs are saying, oh, now maybe Marcus Rashford can focus more on penalties rather than politics is especially galling. And I'm sorry to make it a little bit political here, but my instinct after defeat wasn't, oh no, it's really sad. My instinct was protect those boys. And the fact that there are other England fans who are not black are also have the same sense of, no, these are my boys. These are my England team. These are my lines and I love them still. And if they've done everything they have, is heartening. And I choose to invest in the England that Gareth Southgate's England has propagated rather than the England that other people have propagated and, and want to drop monkey emojis on those things. It's abhorrent that you even have to, to go through this. You, you even have to talk about it. And Jack, as as ever with England, you know, you're, fe- you're feeling down, you're feeling upset about what's happened on the pitch. But then off the pitch, you get wankers that are determined to, to spoil it for everyone and, and just disgrace, disgrace the country. And that's exactly what's happened again in, in multiple facets. The off the field stuff was terrible. Like the... We all knew it was going to be a big... We all knew there was going to be lots of England fans coming to London, not all of them with, with tickets, and they'd all be drinking all day, and that sometimes behaviour can get out of hand. And I think I'd kind of priced that into my expectations for the day, that there would just be quite a lot of pissed fans uh, treating it as if it were like, you know, a classic England game away. You know, it's like, basically, w- w- what we saw was... In, the way that England fans behave when they're away watching England in Seville, Porto, Dortmund, Turin, you know, we've, we've seen it so many times now. But rather than doing it abroad, it was turned in on, on London and on a on much bigger scale. So I, I expected that. What I didn't expect was, you know, I, I don't know how many, 10,000, 5,000, 15,000 England fans to storm their way into Wembley, pushing through stewards, taking over like st- pushing their way into seats, pushing people out of their seats who take, who paid for them and creating an incredibly toxic atmosphere inside the ground. Like the atmosphere yesterday was rubbish compared to the Germany-Denmark games. And I think it was rubbish because fans were so unsettled and upset by that, um, by the fans charging in. And, and as much as we should condemn the fans who did that, ultimately we have to condemn the security. It's a complete failure of security and policing for for that to be able to happen like normally at a game this big if you go you know there's a Champions League final or a major tournament final anywhere around Europe you can't get within a mile or two of the ground without a ticket yeah they said they said like maybe they thought there were 200,000 yeah. people outside yeah. the stadium it's like it's like Glastonbury <laughs> it was literally like Glastonbury walking from Wembley Park walking from Wembley Park to the stadium last night uh, this was at 3.30 it was like trying to get to the southeast corner of Glastonbury when everything else is shut and you're in a crowd of like, yeah, and you're in the crowd of like fifty thousand really wrecked people moving at their own speed, and it's impossible to get oh, through. God. And it, you know, and, and as I was just saying just before we came, we came on air. Like, I mean, I found it uncomfortable, and I'm like, I'm thirty three white man who goes to football all the time. I mean, I, I, I imagine it would have been a really not a nice experience at all, particularly for families, women, children, d- differently abled fans, etc. So. Yeah, it, pretty awful. It reflects terribly on the fans and on 
and on the security of Wembley. And I think it raises massive questions about whether or not Wembley can host a game like that again anytime soon if they can't police it properly. You know, England's got got no chance of hosting future tournaments, future World Cups if if stuff like this continues. And as I, as I said before, it's the same the same old people that let the country down. The simple thing is, this is why we can't have nice things because yeah. people behave like this. And when I went to the the Denmark game, obviously it was an amazing experience. I'm one of the best days of my life. But as soon as I got within, you know, got to Wembley Way, I texted my mate saying, "God, I haven't been around." a lot of drunk Aggie men for a very long time and I kind of forgot how peaceful and nice it was not being around them and just instantly you're like oh like it's just exhausting and it just kind of leaves a sour taste in your mouth on what should not you know which which, what should be a really good occasion and I think what I find so frustrating is you look around and I think this is you know, an extension of what Carl said in terms of, you know, the racist abuse people have been sending players on social media. And you think, like, I think what's terrifying about it is you're like, you're all part of this society. You are just regular working people in society. You're not, you're not, you know, trolls, as it were. You're not an anonymous computer that lives underground in a cellar. You are normal people. And I think that's what ter- that's what's terrifying, is you are an estate agent or you are a, a, a stockbroker or you are whatever. And I think I find that really terrifying. I find that really terrifying. And I'm like, and you don't care about any consequences. You don't care about any accountability. You just want to behave the way you want to behave. And I think that is particularly concerning and when you think about like the future and you and you wake up I think waking up this morning is just a reality check of like this is the state of the nation good luck (laughs) it's kind of where we're at you know I think there are positives there are positives yes look there there were a number of fans who saw that 8 p.m kickoff and decided to get on it from about 11.30, probably even earlier, right? I'm not going to... One of my uh, one of my friends uh, at Zitu uh, said, uh, the footballing god saw that gentleman stick a flare up his backside and decided, nope, it's not coming home now, right? So there, there are individuals that definitely saw what was going to be a historic event, win or lose, and party too hard. And then that very heightened emotional state coupled with alcohol coupled with what i'm just going to say cocaine that is disappointing and yes there are there are people who are around us who like a drink like a bit too much and when their emotions get too high they get angry and when they get angry they lash out without regard for anyone else other than themselves I will also say to to quote the the Mr. Rogers line that I often come back to when I'm quite sad, which is when when bad things happen, you look to the helpers, right? You look to the firemen, you you look to the teachers, you look to the first aiders. So I have a friend who was at Leicester Square, and uh, she had a first aid kit in her rucksack and water and, and all that. And by one o'clock, she had helped stitch up some person's foot because they stepped on a bit of glass, right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on that bit of England, right? I want to focus on on the bit of England that we've hopefully 
discussed on this podcast over and over again. I want to focus a bit on on people like David Priest, who comes on this podcast a lot and has taught me loads about what it's like watching England football in the North because I haven't spent much time in the North other than going to Manchester, right? It's, it's really fun talking about the England and what England means to you, Dan, with your big, broad, brummy accent and how happy you are about Jack Grealish and how after the Denmark game, you didn't really mind that Grealish didn't play. That is the... This is sad and everyone should have a big sulk and England sometimes is a bit crap and the weather's bad and the food can sometimes be rubbish and there's a lot of very powerful people that don't really care for a lot of people but there's also very good, fantastic, decent people in this country too and a lot of them are in this England team, right? So you've got Marcus Rashford, Mr. Pony, also Marcus Rashford helped raise around about two million over the course of 2020. He's changed government policy twice. Jaden Sancho has built numerous communal spaces in his old neighborhood, as has Raheem Sterling, right? Biako Saka, I, I love how the fact that everyone who has ever seemed to play with Biako Saka seems to love Biako Saka. Luke Shaw says he wishes Saka was his younger brother. I was on the verge of getting a unicorn tattoo with Saka inside of it at half time and I'm not even an Arsenal fan so that's the impact right. the boy has we, right. we we made a pact my mate who is an Arsenal fan and I and a few others at half time as well as doing shots were like we're all getting the Saka unicorn tattoo if we do this Gary Young said believe believe that a better world is possible and work relentlessly for that and I think that will be the ultimate lesson I will take tomorrow Today, I'm just going to be really, really sad and no one should talk to me. But tomorrow, I'm going to screw my head back on and uh, try and do some more good work and try and, and try and do more of the things that Gareth Southgate's England remind me of, which is community, understanding, bravery, and understanding even though bad things have happened in the past, that doesn't mean bad things need to happen in the future. Because that's why Southgate's England was really important, right? That's why they got to that final. Because they went, yeah, we understand we're not, we don't have the best record against Germany, but this is new. This is different. We don't need to be locked into the old stories of our forefathers. And even though they did lose on penalties, again, that doesn't mean they're always going to keep losing on penalties forever. So uh, chins up as soon as you can do yes, it. I'm, I'm glad you've come up with some positives, Carl, to, to, to end the podcast, Jack. We've had, I mean, well, I've loved doing this show. I've, I've loved talking about England every, every day for a month with, with, with people like you guys. It, it's been absolutely brilliant. I'm sure it's been a wonderful experience for you, but being at all the games, I'm sure you'll never, ever forget this tournament. Overriding emotion should be, you know, it, this, this has been a very, very positive tournament for England. It's been a great campaign. You know, they've, they've done things that I've never seen them do before. You know, they've reached a major final. They've, beaten really good teams. You know, they've beaten far better teams than they did in 2018. You know, they'd be you know, Croatia, Czech Republic, Denmark, Ukraine and Germany. That's five really good teams who we beat. They played two different formations. Uh, they showed a level of tactical intelligence to close out the game well. They brought through a new generation, you know, a new generation of young players who I think looked looked excellent. You know, Foden's had great moments. Saka's had great moments. Bellingham is very promising. And uh, as well as the big... And I think the big players performed as well. You know, Sterling was fantastic. Maguire, Stones, Walker, Pickford. 
so in many and of course Rice and Phillips. So in many ways it's been great. Like it doesn't feel that way now because of one, because they just lost the final penalties, which is pretty awful. And two, because of all the all the bad stuff going on surrounding the game. Uh, although that you know, none of that stuff is the players' fault or Southgate's fault. Um and none of that should get in the way of, of the campaign for Qatar. So I do feel opt- I do feel very optimistic and encouraged about the future prospects of the England team. That said, I don't, you know, England will never have a chance like they did last night to play a major tournament final in front of a, a home crowd that was sort of 90, 95% English. But, you know, England, as I said in my piece, we don't have, England do not have a right to win a tournament. You know, it's not like just because we, England might never win a tournament in the Southgate or in the future. You just don't know. You know, the tournaments come happen very rarely and there's lots of other very good countries who want to win them as well. Uh, so I, I don't know if we'll win Qatar or Germany 2024 or the USA 2026. Like we'll just have to wait and see. But I, I do feel like, nevertheless, the team is heading in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, Southgate's boys flow. They'll have learned an incredible amount from the whole tournament. And probably in, in defeat last night, they'll have learned an incredible amount as well. And this team will be a force. And they will be contenders in the World Cup in Qatar. Yeah, I think, I mean, just to echo what Jack said... Um... There is so much potential in this side um, and there's a lot to be excited about for the future. I think it's great to see so many people also get excited about England again who probably have felt quite out of touch with the team and also lots of people I know who aren't really interested in football. You know, They weren't watching Love Island on Sunday, they were watching the final. So I think that's also huge. I think it's a shame, obviously, that it's kind of returned to the normal reputation we see around football fans, which is frustrating because we don't want them vilified in that way because like Carl and Jack have said, there are a lot of good football fans, but I think there is so much potential in this team. The World Cup is going to be a whole nother challenge. Much better sides will have to play as well. But I think, you know, I'm looking forward to it and we haven't got long to wait, which is the brilliant thing because of the delay. We haven't got long to wait to, to do this all over again. And England are normally fairly lucky with the group draws. So let's hope that if we do qualify, which we should, we've got a pretty fairly easy qualifying group, that we'll have a nice we'll have a nice group draw and we can do this all, all again and make some memories. Right, that's it. Really, really been an emotional ride co-hosting the England show. It's been an absolute pleasure working with so many brilliant people through the summer and thanks ever so much to everyone that has been a part of the show and thanks to everyone who's tuned in over the last month or so as well it has genuinely been a pleasure England nearly went all the way but just fell short take care The Athletic